good morning, sisters and brothers. And today's church, uh, today's verse is Matthew 4, um, chapter 4, 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike her foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Thanks, Yinyi. Good morning, everyone. This week, I don't know if it was the same for you, but it just felt like there was a ton happening this week. Did anyone else feel like that? Like last Saturday, we had Chinese New Year, and I'm sure people had lots of different meetings and meals and stuff with friends. And then if you're American or follow American sports, Monday was the Super Bowl, uh, which was a, a fun time together. Uh, Tuesday, we had our church picnic. Wednesday was Valentine's Day. Husbands, I hope you remembered. Wednesday also... I don't know if you're aware of this, but Wednesday also was Ash Wednesday, which is the first day of Lent. And Lent is a season in the church calendar of 40 days, not counting Sundays, leading up to Easter. And Lent is a time that historically in the church has been used to prepare our hearts to celebrate Easter. And as churches across HK, we partner together during the Lent season for the One Campaign. And the One Campaign is something that's designed to show and celebrate the unity in Christ that we as churches share in this city. So yes, we meet in different places on Sunday mornings, but we all serve the same God. We all worship the same God. And so every year we take this time to celebrate the fact that, that even though we're meeting on different, in different places and different times, we are all worshiping and serving the same God. And so this One Campaign has two parts. The first part is a Bible reading plan that everyone is invited to join. We have a QR code right here. You can scan that if you want to download the app. And each day during the Lent season, there's a little devotional. There's a prayer, there's a scripture reading, and there's a reflection on that scripture reading. It takes maybe five or 10 minutes. It's all audio, so you can just put in your headphones and listen to it as you're heading to work or school. Um, and if you follow through the entire Lent season, then by Easter, you will have gone through the entire book of Matthew. And so that's something that we're encouraging all the Christians across Hong Kong to do together. That's part one of the One Campaign. Part two is that as we go through this reading plan for the book of Matthew, several churches around the city are doing a sermon series that follows this reading plan. And so we are gonna be one of them. And for the next seven Sundays, we're gonna be looking 
at the book of Matthew together, specifically looking at how Matthew shows that Jesus is the Messiah. And if that's a new word to you, Messiah, basically in the Old Testament, in the first part of the Bible, there are lots of promises that God makes about someone who's going to come and he's going to be a king. He's going to be a rescuer. He's going to save his people. He's going to take what's wrong in the world and make it right. And the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, shows that Jesus is this promised ruler, but that the way he does this often looks very different than we would have expected. And so this idea of Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus being the promised rescuer, that's one of the big themes of the book of Matthew. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to look at how Matthew goes about showing us that Jesus is the Messiah and what that means. And today we're looking at the temptation of Jesus. And what we'll see as we look at it is that the Messiah resisting temptation equips us to resist temptation too. The Messiah resisting temptation equips us to resist temptation too. And we'll look at the nature of temptation, the appeal of temptation, and the defeat of temptation. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in a way that we can know you. And we thank you for the unity that we have with all the other churches around the world who worship you, that, that there is only one God, that we're not opponents, but we're teammates. And we thank you for this season of the year where we can celebrate that in a special way. God, I pray for this time together, looking at your word, that you would be working in us, working to show us more clearly who you are, to give us a deeper love for you so that we can live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we see here is the nature of temptation. In today's passage, the devil comes to Jesus and he tempts him in a number of different ways. And the things that the devil tempts Jesus with are very interesting things, right? On one level, all of these temptations are totally unique to Jesus, right? Like the first one, Satan shows up and says, turn these stones into bread. Is there anyone here who has ever been tempted to do that? You're like out on a hike and you're like, man, I'm hungry. Let me just turn this rock into a piece of bread and have a snack as I walk. No, none of us have ever been tempted to do that because we can't do that because we're not God, right? And so in that sense, these things are unique to Jesus in the sense that we're not tempted by them because we can't do them. And yet at the same time, the types of things that Satan tempts Jesus to do are the same types of things that we are tempted to do every single day. So to just illustrate this, look what each temptation is inviting Jesus to do. The first one is to turn stones into bread. Bread was the core staple of the Middle Eastern diet in Jesus' day. If Jesus was Asian, he probably would have said, turn the grains of sand into rice, right? That's, that's what's happening here. And as someone who hadn't eaten for 40 days, Jesus was hungry. He was very hungry. This would have been very appealing to him, the idea of quick and easy food. And even more appealing is the fact that in those days, bread was really, really expensive, right? In our world, we can go into Welcome or Park and Shop and buy a loaf of bread for, we make our bread at home. So I, I, don't, I haven't checked the prices of bread lately, but I think you can get a cheap loaf for what, 15 or $20 HK? So if you make minimum wage HK, that's less than 30 minutes of work. If you make more than minimum wage, it's, it's maybe five or 10 minutes or less of work, right? 
In their world, one loaf of bread took three hours of work to get. And so Satan, he's not just saying, hey, you're hungry, have, have a bite to eat. He's also saying, skip the work that anyone else would have to do to get this bread. Take the short and easy path. Use your power to skip out on work. And you and I cannot turn stones into bread. But I think we can all relate to that temptation to cut corners to make ourselves more comfortable, to skip out on work to get things that other people might have to work for, but we've found a shortcut to get it. Or the second temptation, Satan says, throw yourself off the temple. And just to clarify, Satan is not saying, Jesus, you should kill yourself. The whole premise of this temptation is Jesus, God has promised that if you do this, he will protect you. Nothing bad will happen to you if you jump off the temple. So what is the appeal of doing this? Why would this be an appealing thing for him to do? Well, remember, Jesus, this is the very start of his ministry. No one knows who he is. The only thing that he's done so far in his life is be a carpenter from the middle of nowhere. But he has a huge job to do. He is the savior of the world. That's what he's come to be. So if you have come to be the savior of the world and no one knows who you are and you want to get your work off to a fast start, what better way to do that than by doing something big and public that no one else can do right in the middle of your society's culture and government and religion where, where people congregate, do a big public display of power that will show off that you're someone special. He's, he's giving him a shortcut to career success. Don't do the hard work to go out and teach people and actually invest in them and, and draw crowds slowly. Take the shortcut. You could have a crowd of tens of thousands of people following you within the hour. And again, you and I, we're not tempted to show we're special by jumping off of tall buildings. But I think we're all tempted by, by that idea of a shortcut to success. And then the third temptation, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he tells Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me, you can rule them all right this moment. Think how appealing of an offer that would be, right? Jesus can look around. He can see all the nations of the world. He can see their glory, but he can also see their potential. He can see the way they fall short of being what they could be if they'd follow God's plan for them. I mean, his whole job that he's come for is to rescue them, to set them back on that right path, this path that brings blessing and prosperity. And he's being the given the chance to lead them and rule them right now. All he has to do is bow down and worship Satan and he can fix what's broken in the world, starting this moment. Now again, you and I, I don't think anyone here has ever been offered the opportunity to rule the whole world. Anyone? No. But I think we can all relate to that temptation to compromise in order to gain power. It's so easy to convince ourselves the ends justify the means. Whatever I need to compromise to get the power, it'll more than make up for the good things that I'll do with the power. So in one sense, the exact temptations that Jesus faces are ones that you and I will never face. But the types of temptation that he faces, the things underneath the surface that are really appealing to him, this invitation to comfort, to success, to power, they're things that all of us 
can relate to. They're, they're common human desires that all of us share. And one of the primary things that all of these temptations are inviting Jesus to do is to separate his power from love. All the temptations are inviting him to separate his power from love. Notice, other than this third temptation to bow down and worship Satan, which is clearly wrong, the first two temptations aren't actually to do anything that's, that's morally bad in and of themselves, right? Take that first one, Jesus turning stones into bread. Did you know that two of his most famous miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, involved Jesus miraculously making bread? So miraculously making bread in and of itself is not a bad thing. But somehow something about doing it in this context would have made it a bad thing for Jesus to do. And what is it that sets this apart from the miracles? It's love. In the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, he's looking around at the people around him who are suffering because they're hungry, because they've come out all day to hear him teach and they've run out of food and he, he cares for them. And so he does this miracle to lovingly provide for them. Where right here, if he uses his power to do a miracle and turn the stones into bread, he's just using his power to avoid hard work. And the hard work would actually be loving and serving other people, doing things for them that they need done. So actually, if he were to do this miracle, he would be skipping out on an opportunity to love other people. To turn the stones into bread is to separate power from love. And in the same way, Satan's temptations towards us are, separations, are, are temptations for us to separate our power from our love. We have power to speak but he calls us to use that power to speak in ways that tear people down and push ourselves ahead rather than build other people up and show them love. We have power to, to do things with our hands, but he invites us to use that power to get ourselves ahead rather than to love and serve the people around us. Just like he did with Jesus, Satan wants to get you and me today to separate our power from our love. And these parallels between the temptation Jesus faced and the temptations that you and I face, they mean that in a very real way, a lot of the temptations that you and I face today, maybe even most of the temptations you and I face today, parallel the temptations that Jesus faced in very real ways. So just a couple examples to, to show you what I'm talking about. What would be a modern equivalent of the temptation for Jesus to turn stones into bread? Well, remember, it's, it's an invitation to take a shortcut to comfort, to cut out the hard work so you can just skip straight to the comfort. Where do we see that today? There's lots of people who desire the comfort of human intimacy, but rather than doing the hard work to find a spouse and sacrificially love their spouse, we're tempted to skip that process, just log into our internet and find porn and have this replica of human intimacy without any of the work or go down to the club, pick up a one night stand, have some fun together, be close physically, but not have any of the hard work of actually building and investing in a relationship. I mean, you've probably never realized this before, but the thing that porn promises to people in our world is the same thing that turning stones to bread promised Jesus. Comfort without hard work. Or this temple jump. What's a modern equivalent of the temple jump? Maybe it's the temptation to promote ourselves in order to make ourselves more successful. Social media is all about this, right? 
You never post a, a picture about, oh, I'm sitting at the middle of nowhere doing nothing. You're always posting the glamorous stuff that makes you look amazing. So people will look at that and think, I want their life, right? We, we promote ourselves on social media so everyone can think our lives are better than they are so we can be successful in their eyes. Or maybe when we're applying for a job, we put a couple things on our CV that aren't 100% accurate, but make us look better than we are. You know, I, I've taken a couple Spanish classes in my life. I can, I can say that I speak Spanish. Sure, why not? We do things, say things that aren't true in order to make it easier to find a job, to give us more chance of success in our search for a job. Or students, I know it's exam season. The temptation to cheat on exams is this type of temptation, right? You want the success of a good grade, but oh, it's so much hard work to study to get that good grade properly, right? And so it's easier to just copy the answers from the smart kid in class. We get all the success, all the applause without any of the hard work. That's what Satan wanted Jesus to do by jumping off the temple. Or the temptation to bow down to Satan in order to get power over the world. We can relate to this anytime we're tempted to compromise in order to gain power. Maybe, maybe you're up for a promotion at work and you know if I got this promotion, I could do so much good stuff to make life better for everyone who works in this company. And there's a coworker who's also up for the promotion and I would do so much better of a job in this role than they would. So I'll spread some rumors around the office about this coworker. Let everyone know that they're not really that great. Maybe there's some big red flags that aren't necessarily true, but I can make everyone think they're true so they know I'm the better choice for this role. And we feel justified in doing it because if we get that promotion, the good things we can do with that power it more than makes up for whatever harm the rumors could cause, right? And all these different types of temptations and hundreds of others that we face every day, just like the temptation of Jesus, they're inviting us to separate power from love, to act in ways that get ourselves ahead without having to work and serve others, to use our words in ways that tear others down instead of building them up, to promote ourselves and see life as a competition where we can't win unless everyone else is losing. And when we give in to these temptations, they pull us away from God's plan for our lives and keep us from accomplishing his purpose for us, just like it would have done for Jesus if he had given in to these temptations. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't give in to these temptations. He stays committed to God's plans for him. And we're gonna look in just a minute at how he does that. But before we do that, we need to look at why temptation is so appealing to us. Because unless we understand where its power comes from, we're not going to understand how to defeat it. So let's look at the appeal of temptation. And I know from my experience being human, each of us has faced many different temptations throughout our lives. And each of us has failed to stand up to those temptations many times. We've given into them. We've succumbed to this temptation to use our power apart from love. What is it about these different temptations that makes them so appealing to us? What is it that makes them so appealing the devil thought they might even work on Jesus? Well, I think there are at least three main things that appeal to us in temptation that make them hard to resist. And the first is that they speak to the deep desires of our hearts. 
Temptations speak to the deep desires of our hearts. Here at the bridge, we talk about idols a lot. And, and I know typically when we think of idols, we think of statues, you bow down to them. That can be a type of idol. But biblically, an idol is anything that you use to take God's place in your heart. It's anything you look to in order to find your deepest hopes and dreams being fulfilled in your life. Whatever you think can give you true life apart from God, that's an idol. And idols, they're not necessarily bad things. They're often good things. But because they're so good, we're tempted to believe that they are the key to happiness in the good life. Things like family or money or a good job. And the better something is, the more likely we are to believe that it can satisfy every desire of our hearts. The more likely we are to turn it into an idol, the better it is. And there are many things that people idolize in our world that are really easy to see and identify as idols, right? Like money is something that lots of people idolize. A good job, sex, a good family, good kids. But the reality is all these things that we can see that people idolize, they operate on the surface of our lives. We can call them surface idols. They're things that you can see, they're at the surface. But for every surface idol, all these things that I just listed, people pursue these things because they believe that it can give them something else under the surface. And this desire under the desire is what we could call a deep idol because it's beneath the surface and it's driving all the things on the surface that we can see, but often this is something that we can't see. So just to give you an example of what this looks like, Take sex. Sex is a common surface idol. But what is it that drives people to idolize sex? For some people, it's this idea of comfort. There's something comfortable about human contact and intimacy that they feel like they get through sex. For some people, it's a means to success. Everyone that they can get to sleep with them becomes a trophy that they can add to their collection. And the bigger their trophy collection gets, the more successful they feel. For some people, it's all about power. They want to be able to manipulate other people into doing what they want. And this is one of their ways that they exercise power over other people and get them to do what they want. So all three of those people, they have the same surface idol of sex, but they're all seeking a different deep idol through the sex. There's something different that's driving each of them to per pursue the same thing on the surface. One wants comfort, one wants success, one wants power. Comfort, success, power. Do those three things sound familiar? Remember, they're the same three things the devil is tempting Jesus to pursue with these temptations. And they happen to be three of the primary deep idols that are at work in our world. Which means to some degree or other, every single one of us, whether we're Christians or not, we are hardwired inside ourselves with this desire for comfort, for success, for power, also for control and security over the future. And these desires in and of themselves are not bad things. The reason we want them is because of how good they are. But these desires are meant to lead us to God as our source of ultimate comfort and success. They're meant to lead us to trust in God to be the one who's powerful for us. And when we use these desires to draw us closer to God, they actually become incredible gifts to us. 
But when these desires become more important to us than God is, they become incredibly dangerous because we're tempted to pursue these things apart from God. When we place our hope in comfort or success or power apart from God, it leads us to ignore God. It leads us to separate our power from love because our primary goal is to satisfy this idol, this desire for comfort, for success, for control or power, rather than our primary goal being to live in a way that honors God and loves others. And this is incredibly dangerous because when we separate power from love, it, it leads us to use people. It leads us to try and manipulate them rather than love them. It spreads harm and hurt in the world rather than love and blessing. We've, we feel totally justified in doing it because it's the price we have to pay to satisfy the cravings of our idol. But temptations, they're appealing to us, first of all, because they appeal to the deepest desires of our hearts and promise that they can fulfill them. Second, temptations appeal to us because they also appeal to our deepest fears. This is sort of the flip side of appealing to our deepest desires. Your deepest fear is always linked to your deepest desire, right? And this, this flip side of that desire for comfort, for success, for power, it's a fear that all of us have and share. And the fear is this, if I don't look out for myself, if I don't take care of myself, no one will. If I don't make sure things go okay for me, who will? No one. It feeds us this lie that we really are on our own in this world. There's no one to look out for us. There's no one to care for us. There's no one to love us. There's no one to make sure we're okay. And if we really are on our own, if there really is no one to look out for us, if life really is a zero-sum game where for me to get ahead, I have to do it by making someone else fall behind, then it makes all the sense in the world to cut corners to get ahead because this might be my only chance to get these things that I, I feel like I need to have the good life. So temptation appeals to us not only by speaking to our desires, but also by speaking to our fears and filling us with this dread that if I don't do this thing right now, my life will never be okay. And then third, temptations appeal to us because they invite us to skip the cross. Now here's what I mean by this. When the devil comes and tempts Jesus, Jesus is on a path in his life that will lead him to comfort, to success, and to power. Right? At the end of the story, Jesus gets all these things in a far greater degree than Satan could ever give to him. But this path that Jesus is walking, in order to get to this comfort and success and power, he has to go through death. He has to go through the cross. And in case you don't know, the cross is terrible. The cross is death, but it's not just any death. From a physical perspective, the ancient world's experts in pain and suffering and torture developed the cross as the most painful way to kill someone. They literally had to invent a new word to describe the pain of dying on the cross because none of the words in their vocabulary sufficiently expressed how terrible it is to die on the cross. Have you ever heard the word excruciating? That crux in the middle of it, that part, comes from the word for cross. That's a word that they developed to describe the pain of dying on a cross because they needed a new word for it. 
He had to go through that. And that's just on the physical level. Spiritually, the cross meant that for the first time in all eternity, Jesus would be separated from God. That all human wrongdoing and sin would be poured out on Jesus. And because of that, Jesus, when he called out to God, he would be met by silence. That this perfect life-giving relationship that he has known from eternity, that he has never been separated for, will be broken. Yes, it will be restored eventually, but it's going to be broken. Jesus endured all the horror of an eternity in hell in one moment on a cross. Now, if you knew that that was coming in your future, physical death, torture, suffering, the horrors of an eternity in hell, and you had the opportunity to skip all that pain and agony and get straight to comfort, success, and power, would anyone want that? I think I would. Right? That, that's, that's why Satan chooses these temptations to appeal to Jesus. Because that temptation to skip the cross is so powerful. But you know the reality? The temptation to skip the cross, it's not just a temptation for Jesus. It's a temptation for Christians today as well. Because biblically, the path of the Christian life follows the path of Jesus' life. As Christians, we are promised comfort and success and God's power working in us as we die to ourselves, as we lay down our desires and love and serve others, as we stop living to try to get what we want and try to get everything our way, God steps in and fights for us. Resurrection follows death in God's stories, but death, just like it was for Jesus, it's painful and hard. And for us, it's typically on a day-to-day -day basis, not necessarily physical death, but it's a death to our desires, to the things that we want, to the things that we think give us life, laying them down to love and serve others. And if we can get those end results of comfort and success and power without having to go through the pain of death in the process, everyone wants that. And this promise of temptation that we can skip that, skip the cross, makes it so appealing to us. So these three things, this desire to satisfy the deep idols of our hearts, the desire to avoid our deepest fears coming true, and the desire to avoid the cross, they make temptation so appealing to every single one of us. But Jesus shows us that these three appeals of temptation, they don't need to make us give in to the temptation. So let's look at the defeat of temptation. Because you see, Jesus overcomes the temptation. And, and we need to look at how he does it because there's going to be some things we can learn about how to fight temptation from watching him do it. And the first thing we see as we see how Jesus fights temptation is that every time he is tempted, do you realize what he does? He quotes the Bible. Every single response, it is written. That's, that's quoting the Bible, specifically the book of Deuteronomy. You know, the Old Testament that no one thinks they need anymore and it's outdated, whatever. No, Jesus sees that that is actually the key to understanding how God wants us to live and to living in a way that honors him. And what is it that allows Jesus to be the type of person that when he's bumped, when he's tempted, the thing that spills out over the top of his life, is God's word and obedience to God. 
It's that his heart is filled with a desire for God and his ways that's deeper than his desire for what idols give. See, it's a problem when our desires for these idols, for comfort, for success, for power, become bigger than our desire for God. The solution to that is to have our desire for God be our biggest desire in life. If God is our number one love, then everything else underneath falls into place properly and we live in a way that honors him. The key to overcoming idols is not just to get rid of them. Our hearts are designed to want and love things. If we take something like comfort and we're like, I'm just not gonna want comfort anymore. It doesn't automatically equip us to live for God. It creates a vacuum and something else comes in and takes its place. In order to overcome idols, we need to replace them with something else that we desire and love even more than the idol itself. And Jesus, he has this love and desire for God that allows him to live in a way that pleases God because loving God and desiring to please God is a deeper desire in his heart than his desire for these idols. So how about you? What is the deepest desire of your heart? Do you desire comfort and success and power more? Or do you desire to know God, to love God, to follow him? Until God is truly our deepest desire, we're never gonna have the power to overcome temptation. But Jesus, because his desire for God and his ways is deeper than his desire for comfort, success, and power, it empowers him to be obedient. The second thing we see in Jesus is that his refusal to give in to temptation shows that he has confidence his Father in heaven will fight for him when he refuses to fight for himself. Right? We talked about that fear. If I don't look out for myself, who will look out for me? Jesus knows the answer. My Father in heaven will. He doesn't need to listen to that voice that says, no one's going to take care of you. You're all on your own in life. He, he knows that his Father cares for him. And we see this confidence rewarded at the end of the passage, right? Jesus, he says no to seeking his own comfort by turning the stones into bread. But at the end of the temptation in verse 11, did you see what happens? Angels came and were ministering to him. That word ministering, it's a broad word. It can mean lots of different things. But one of the things it often means is serving people food. When Jesus says no to this temptation to take and grasp food for himself, his heavenly father reaches out and gives him food. Jesus knows that he has a father who cares for him, so he doesn't need to take things into his own hand. So how about you? Do you know that you have a heavenly father who cares for you and takes care of you when you seek him first? When that voice of fear fills your head and says, if you don't look out for yourself, who is going to take care of you? Are you able to say, my God provides for me? My God takes care of me. My God sustains me. Jesus' confidence in God's care and provision allows him to overcome that fear. And the third thing we see is that Jesus' refusal to give in to temptation shows his commitment to follow God's path to the cross before experiencing resurrection. Jesus knows his father's character. He knows that the paths that God has him on in life are paths that lead to life even if it involves suffering along the way. And he's committed to walk those paths because he knows his father's character. He knows that in his father's stories, 
death always leads to resurrection. That the things that his father offers him are better than the things that Satan offers him. Even if the things that Satan offers look more appealing in the moment. So how about you? Do you know your heavenly father's character? Do you truly believe that his plans for you are good, even if they're tough for a time? By knowing his father's character, it gave Jesus the power to stay on the path that God set for him, even though it went through death before it ended in victory. So that's how Jesus overcame the devil's temptation. He had a desire for God that was deeper than his desire for idols. He had a confidence in God's provision that allowed him to say no to his fear. And he had an understanding of God's character that allowed him to stay on God's path for him rather than take shortcuts. Now, this is where I should just tell you, go be like Jesus, do what he did. We're all good, right? But I don't know about you. I, I would love it if I had the power and discipline to do that consistently. But when I try to do that, I fail. I mess up. It gets really discouraging. I beat myself up and then I fail even more. I feel worse about myself. So how do we get these things that Jesus did so that we can learn to start fighting temptation like he did? It's not just by trying harder to do better. It's actually by looking to Jesus as our Messiah. See, our our own effort cannot achieve obedience. In order for us to resist temptation and obey God, we need our desires reordered. We need our desire for idols to become less, our desire for God to be our biggest desire of all. That's what's going to rewire all our fears. That's going to give us God's perspective on the best path to take in life. And this shift in our desires happens slowly, but it happens when we see that Jesus didn't just resist temptation here as some cool story from history, but he did these things for us. He did it for you and for me. He said no to all the shortcuts that the devil offered him because he loves you. Instead of taking the shortcuts, he suffered. He suffered for you and for me. He said no to the temptation and yes to the cross. He did that for your sake and for my sake. He endured suffering rather than taking a shortcut to comfort so that you and I can experience the comfort of being known and loved by the God of the universe. He experienced death and rejection so that you and I can know the success of having God look at our lives and be pleased with us and saying, well done. He hung on the cross naked and powerless so that you and I can know the power of God working and living inside us. When we see that, when we really understand what he did for us, that he did it for us, how he loves us, that is going to fill us with love for him. So if you're struggling with temptation this week, if it just feels so strong and so powerful, the first thing for you to do is not just buckle down, try harder, get your act together. No, it's look to Jesus, study his life, see what he did for you, and let that reshape your loves so that you want to live in a way that honors him. Yes, this path of following Jesus, it's going to involve suffering. It's going to involve dying to our own desires. But just like for Jesus, that's a path that ends in life. 
You know, if you fast forward all the way to the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, he's resisted temptation. He's gone to the cross. He's risen again. And just as he stands on a mountain with Satan in this passage, he's standing on another mountain. And he says at the end of the book that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. All the power and the glory, all the comfort and success becomes his in the end, not because he sought his own way, not because he took the shortcuts, but because he was committed to seeking God's ways, the way of saying no to his own desires and yes to sacrificial love and service. And he's inviting you and me to follow that same path today because he knows from experience it's the path that leads to life. And it's a path that we get on by looking to him as our Messiah and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus and the way that he said no to temptation. We thank you that he did that, not just as some cool story in history, but that he did it for us, that he did it out of his love for us. I pray that each of us today would be able to look to him and have our loves and desires of our hearts reshaped so that we truly desire him more than anything else. God, I know that path is hard, but I pray that you would give us the perseverance and endurance to walk that path with you because it is the path that leads to life. In Jesus' name, amen.